believe the Holy Spirit gave me, and uh, it's a slight bit different. It's a little on the track with what we've been, but it's a slight bit different. Because um, I want to both encourage you and challenge you this morning. I want to do both of those things. And uh, so I, I just want you to hear out your hearts for it. Can we just do that real quick? Because I believe what the Holy Spirit has for me to share with you is to prepare us for what he's up to. Because he's up to something. Far more than what we've seen thus far. And because of that, I want us to be ready. Amen? I believe he wants us to be ready. So let's just pray. Father, we just ask that through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you prepare the ground of our hearts, our minds, our souls, Lord, to be washed, Lord, with the water of your word in such a way that, Lord, our faith is increased, our joy is enhanced, and our ability to know what you're doing is, is magnified so much more, Lord. We want to see you. We want to know what you're up to. We want to partner with you in what you're doing. We want to be very familiar with the desires of your heart. So we ask your help this morning as we tune in to what you want to say and what you want to do in Jesus' name. Everybody say Amen. You know, it happens all the time, but it goes unnoticed until a misunderstanding arises. What happens, you might ask? Well, someone speaks of something that's familiar to them, but it ends up being unfamiliar to those they are speaking to. So the result usually ends up being misunderstood. Now, I don't mean to brag, but recently I put together a puzzle in only one day, even though the box said two to four years. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> okay. The other night when the moon was full and bright, I tried to compliment my wife and she smiled at me. I said to her, Sheila, honey, your teeth look as white as pearls in the moonlight tonight. I expected she'd be happy for me to say such a thing, so you can imagine my surprise when she responded with a question of her own. Who's Pearl and what are you doing in the moonlight with her? <laughs> I really thought I was giving a compliment. Apparently, I messed it up somehow. <laughs> Misunderstandings are a fairly common occurrence, especially between human beings, right? It's a common occurrence. Believe it or not, Jesus ran into this sort of thing quite a bit. He actually did. One might think that with Jesus being so perfect, being misunderstood would be impossible. <laughs> but it wasn't impossible. Wouldn't Jesus be able to know exactly what people need to hear in order to understand? <laughs> Jesus spoke of things from his perspective, knowing that many would not understand him, even though they claimed to. You ever walked away from a situation? We used to do exercises in small groups where we'd start something that was a very simple phrase and it, with about eight or ten people, and each one was to pass it on. And by the time it got to the tenth person, it wasn't quite the same <laughs> phrase that it began as. Because each person spoke the phrase according to their perspective of it. 
And it kept changing as it went around the circle. So you can think somebody understood you because you understood you. <laughs> and you even feel like you labored to make it clear, but it's still misunderstood because of perspective. Now, when Jesus was experiencing this, he's seeing things according to the Spirit, and he knew what his father was up to, but the people he was talking to did not. And so they thought of things according to the natural, and therefore took Jesus literally in the natural, when they should have known he was speaking metaphorically and prophetically. And because they were lockstep in the natural, what he was saying, even though they claimed to comprehend it, they didn't comprehend it because they weren't on step with him about it. They weren't coming at it from the same per perspective, mind you. That was the problem. Now this is seen clearly early on in his ministry debut. If you've got your Bibles, would you open them up to John chapter 2 and I want to demonstrate this to you so that we can see it actively happening to Jesus. We'll begin in verse 13 and read down to 21. And I'm using the New King James Version for mine. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' uh, money and, and, and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Another, another place it might say, by what authority do you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now, if you had asked that contingency of people having that in exchange with Jesus, if they understood what he was saying, they would have said, absolutely, and he's mad. He's crazy. There's no way one man can put something this elaborate together in, in a span of time he's talking about when we, we, we know it took 46 years in the lives of many people to do this. We understood him quite well. But they didn't. Now, just prior to this, Jesus had performed the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And now, because it was near the Passover, he went up to Jerusalem, and he didn't like what he saw at the temple. He didn't like what he saw. The context of what we just read from John puts the temple at the center of this issue. The subject of temple is at the center of what's going on here. It's about temple. 
temple. T-E-M-P-L-E, temple. Not your temple here at the sides of your head. Temple where God dwells. That's the context. Now, you'll see that Jesus refers to the temple as his father's house. His father's house. It's another way of saying this is where my dad dwells. This is the place my dad calls home. Are you, are you with me? The temple was constructed to house the Spirit of God here on earth. It represented the place where people connected with God. Now Jesus knew something about a temple that others did not yet know. He knew that the idea of a temple would change under the new covenant. He knew this. So Jesus exhibited a zeal for the temple that I believe was rooted in the firm knowledge and belief that the purpose for the temple was to be and to represent the dwelling place of God, the connecting place where God gets together with men. Jesus drove away the people who had transformed his father's dwelling place on earth into a marketplace. They were misusing the temple. The temple was being treated as something ordinary. I want you to, if you're going to take notes, write that down. The temple was being treated as something ordinary. Ordinary. It wasn't good. Now let's not lose sight of the fact that in this particular event John writes about, the temple is the subject at the center. Temple. John reveals to us through what Jesus spoke about a temple that Jesus knew the temple was about to change. Now Jesus was living and speaking prophetically. And that means he was living in the now moment but was pulling on heavenly realities to come. Now, you sound like a crazy person when you do that. To a natural thinking human being, if you're speaking prophetically, you sound like you've lost your freaking mind. Yeah. You, you've blown it. You, you've blown a gasket somewhere. You know, something happened. You've lost it. You can't even talk with any real sense. What you're saying don't make sense. It's not possible. See, prophetic language in the now always looks impossible. It always in the natural looks impossible. You need to know that. You need to understand that. Jesus is speaking and he's pulling on heaven reality, heavenly realities that are to come. Jesus did not need to be born again to be the temple of the Spirit, by the way. He had the Holy Spirit abiding with him. And, and that is why he could say, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up on the third day. Jesus is pulling on the prophetic reality of the new creation in the new covenant ahead of its arrival. 
He's speaking of something that is ahead of its arrival. But he's speaking of it as a done deal. A matter of fact. Are you hearing me? But we don't dare look at what Jesus is doing and say, man, the dude was crazy. But man, do we ever look at each other we find somebody speaking prophetically about their situation, about some circumstance in their life, about a healing that they believe for, or whatever it may be. We, we treat them like maybe they've lost their mind if they're speaking prophetically about this thing. Because they have heard God. They believe something about his character and his nature that they've become convinced of and they're standing on it and they're speaking about that. You know, Paul says, we no longer want to know any man after the flesh, but rather after the, the spirit. The spirit. There's something to being spiritually minded. Because to be spiritually minded involves supernatural possibilities in the face of natural impossibilities. That's what it involves. Jesus was calling on those things that are not as though they were. Isn't that what you see in the Bible? We tell, go wash in the pool of Siloam. But what if it doesn't work? Jesus knew it would work. He wasn't worried about the what if it doesn't. Never even factored into the equation. Just go do it. Peter, if it's you, what did we come? Come. No scientific explanation for how this will work. Nothing offered in the way of an intellectual reasoning for why you should just get out of a boat. Nothing of that sort. Just a simple come. Come. Jesus was a prototype of the new creation when he spoke prophetically about his body being the temple. We need to go there this morning. See, that was the direction the new covenant was headed. And it was so futuristic, people couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. They couldn't grasp it. Naturally minded people struggled to connect with prophetic language. Naturally minded people struggled to connect with prophetic language. Prophetic language is the language of the New Covenant, brothers. The New Covenant is filled with languages calling things that are not as though they were. Filled with it. So I, I look at it how all of you are dressed. You don't look like a royal priesthood to me in your natural clothing. None of you are wearing any kind of crown. None of you ladies have on a tiara. You know? You, there's no robes. There's no gap. There's no... 
There's no scepters. There's no... A royal priesthood, kings and priests unto God. If I look at you in the natural, I don't see that. I can't see that in the natural. I have to put on my spiritual mind and let my spirit man take over my vision if I'm going to be able to see you as God says you are. Are you hearing me? If I'm going to see and speak of you, calling something that appears to not be as though it is, I have to see you according to the Spirit. That's how I have to see you. The only reason there are still times when there's division and, and, and uh, tension and what am I looking for? There's a word, uh, contention amongst members of the body is they're not seeing one another according to the Spirit. And when you can't see one another according to the Spirit, you cannot respect and honor one another according to the truth. And when you can't honor and respect one another according to the truth, You struggle. You struggle. Because all you can see is what this brother or sister is in the natural. So you can't begin to speak to them prophetically as to who they are in Christ because you're overwhelmed by your senses in the natural. Now that's not to say that the body doesn't matter because your body is the temple. Jesus is the prototype. Now, prophetic language is the language of the new covenant. It's the language and way of life, speaking of things unseen as though they are. It pulls on those things unseen and brings them into the present. It's what it does. Now, things like our natural bodies becoming a temple for God, for instance. You look at somebody, you're like, I'm not sure that I'm convinced that that person's a dwelling place for God. Or how about things like, because of this, we too will be raised from the dead when Jesus returns. How many of you believe you're going to be raised from the dead? I hope you do. It's part of the gospel. Right? It's part of the promise. Why is it so easy to say, I believe I'm going to be raised from the dead when Jesus returns? But it's so hard to say, I believe I'm healed. Which one's more elaborate? Which one's more bereaved? Being raised from the dead or being healed? The things that we wrestle over in the natural. The things that are allowed to hinder us in the natural. <laughs> are, are you with me here? Don't get off the bus yet. I'm going 50 miles an hour right now. It's not safe. Stay on the bus with me, okay? <laughs> we are temples. 
Think about this. If Jesus in his zeal for the temple drove out the ones who were misusing his father's house, could there be something he might be wanting to drive out of your temple? I know, I've just gone from preaching to meditating. <laughs> is there something taking place in your temple that is displeasing to Jesus? See, this zeal for the house manifests in the new covenant when Paul writes to the Corinthians about their body being a temple for the Holy Spirit. See, their conduct, what they were doing in their body, was grieving the Holy Spirit who was dwelling in them. Their behavior was wrongfully insisting that the Holy Spirit get comfortable with situations and people that he, in his sinless nature, cannot be comfortable with. Now, let's just see what all that's about, would you? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me, and we'll begin in verse 12 there. And again, I'm still in that New King James Version. It says in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. There's the key. I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. What is he talking about? In the final days, food is no longer a matter. The stomach is no longer an issue. Now the body is not for sexual immorality before the Lord, and the Lord for the body. If you want to know why you have a body, here's your answer. This is your answer right here. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Is that prophetic new covenant language, guys? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. By the way, young people, this old people too. This is why sex outside of marriage is a bad deal. It's not good for you, it's not good for them. Why? Because you're making yourself one with that person. And you can say, well, but we decided to break it off and we're going to go on and do our own thing. You are still connected to that person. Because of the act. That's what the Bible teaches. There's a lot of marriages 
second, third, fourth marriages that aren't making it today because they never understood connection. And when you have that kind of connection, if it's not properly broken, there's an area in your soul that is still connected and broken. It needs to have broken off of it the connection. And I've seen a lot of people deal with this, and if you try to help them, all, a lot of times they just get upset. Well, I'm over that person. You might be over that person in general sense, but it's affecting the way you're relating to other people, especially the one you want to spend your life with now. It is affecting things. Why? Because there's a connection. Sexual immorality creates connections in the body. That's why it's not advisable. And you would be wise to steer clear of it. Stay away from it. Just a little side note, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you not know that he is joined to a harlot as one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, at the time of the, uh, of the tail end of the early church years, when John's on the Isle of Patmos and all the things are unfolding that are unfolding in church history, um, there was a prolific lie, an error growing uh, tremendously in the church. It's called Gnosticism. Yeah. I don't know if many of you, it's a theological term, but well, the Gnostics were this. The Gnostics believed that the body meant nothing, and the spirit was everything. Greg, you're, you're my pastor, you know what I'm talking about. Spirit meant everything. So what you did in your body didn't matter. And, and, and if you read the Revelation letters, the seven letters, right? You remember one of them said dealing with that Jezebel's going to be thrown into the sick bed and all with, with that and all that stuff. What was going on there is you had what was called the guilds. And the guilds were these pocketed craftsmen, artisan communities, marketplace communities, the guilds. It was like unions today. They controlled the marketplace in that particular arena. And they were tightly tied to the temples, the pagan temples of the time. Okay? And in the pagan temples, they had temple prostitutes, male and female. And in those temple prostitution things, if, if you were not going to the temple and participating in all that goes on there, that's how the guilds knew you were a Christian. That's how they knew for sure you were a follower of Jesus. And they could persecute you. 
So the Gnostics were coming along, and what Jezebel was trying to teach the church as a prophet, prophetess, right? And that's just the spirit of error. So like the spirit of Balaam, right? It's the spirit of error. What it was trying to teach the church is, hey, it's okay. You know, God don't want you to just ridiculously and foolishly put yourself out there to, to be persecuting your family, to suffer and everything else. You can do this because, see, the body doesn't even really matter. It's only your spirit. So it doesn't matter what you do in your body. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter if you go to the temple and do that. It, it, you need to go stealth here. You need to come in under the radar, folks. That was the teaching. And Jesus himself comes to right the error. The Lord himself speaks to the error. And he says, I'm going to deal with this. And he's telling the leader of the church in that area, if you don't rise up, I'll throw you in a sick bed with Jezebel. And all those who agree with her. And I mean to tell you, there's some things happening in the body of Christ right now because of an alignment with sexual immorality in the culture of our times. And the thought that God doesn't care. And that somehow it's okay to agree with the opinions out there that some of what this craziness that is going on and being pumped even into our kids. By the way, if you've got kids in the public education institutions, you better pay attention to what they're learning. Because they're being indoctrinated, folks. And they're being indoctrinated with this spirit that Jesus dealt with in Revelation. And families are being torn apart by it. And it's sad to see it happen. But will you buy the Gnostic lie that your body doesn't matter and that their body doesn't matter? Or will you be in step with what the scriptures teach us? Which one is it? Choose. Choose. But prepare yourself for the consequences of your choice. Or the blessing of it. Sexual immorality will never be okay with God. Never, ever will it be okay with God. In any form. Heterosexual sexual immorality, homosexual sexual immorality, any of it, in any form, incest, you name it, is not okay with God. Never has been, never will be. And when people go there, they're sinning against their own bodies. You know what that means to sin against your own body? It means you throw yourself into the pit of contradiction. Are, are you hearing me? You're, if you're claiming to be a Christian and, and you're engaged in sexual immorality, inwardly, you're in conflict. If you've truly come to know Jesus and you slip up and you go to sexual immorality, 
areas, you are living in conflict. And your turmoil, you're trying to keep it at bay. You're trying to keep it under control. You're trying to arrest it the best way you know how. But I guarantee you there's places it's manifested. Your frustration, your confusion, your discontentment. Can I tell you something? Lust is never satisfied. It never has been satisfied. It never will be satisfied. It's impossible for that to happen. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone who might have slipped and fallen into some kind of sexual misconduct or anything to do with it. I'm here to tell you that you don't want to walk that path. You don't want to live in that pit. Not wise. And God's not okay with it. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God where? In your body and in your spirit. Which are whose? You're not your own. You're not your own. It's not wise to live as though your body is not his temple here on earth and misuse it. You've been made one with Christ. One. When you were saved, your body became a temple of the living God. And there's a prophetic nature to who you are now. You're supernatural. You're supernatural. You're a supernatural being, and your natural body houses the spirit of the living God inside you. And because of this, you're given special prophetic promises that you're permitted to declare and pull on right now. In fact, Peter goes so far as to say this, but James makes a comment about it too. We're given great and precious promises. Whereby we might what? Be partakers of the divine nature. You want to protect of God's nature? Find out what the promises are and start letting the supernatural spirit man within you begin to move you, inspire you, and lead you into living according to those as opposed to the promises the flesh might wish to pursue. When you do this, there is what I call a breakout of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, some people see ministers and others moving in things of the Holy Spirit in special ways and stuff like that, and they're like, well, that's for them. They have a special calling. No, that's for every believer in the body of Christ. It has nothing to do with a special calling. It has everything to do with learning the fact that we have all been separated by God for a purpose. Separated from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We can't leave the world. You know? We won't depart from this world until it's our time, right? So, you, you, can, you need to be in the world, but not of the world. And the church needs to hear these things again. And especially in the grace based New Covenant churches, there's times when we have to remind the body of Christ of these realities. Yes, there's grace, but it's not grace to do whatever. To live as though there is no God. That's what 
That's what ungodliness is. Ungodliness is living like there is no God. That I'm only answerable to me. When you live your life like the only one that you answer to is yourself, you're living in ungodliness. But Titus 3.11 says it this way, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching them to deny ungodliness. Walk away from that and come in and surrender and submission to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Those promises you're given, that supernatural life you possess, the realization that you're a temple is how you're empowered to be a glory manifesting temple of God in this earth. You are meant to manifest the glory, the, that means the presence of God. You're meant to manifest the presence of God everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. And you can't do that if you're trying to be like the world. You can't do that if you agree with the lies. The father of lies, the prince of the power of the air, has blinded the minds and hearts of the lost. You can't manifest the presence if you're in agreement with their wrong opinions. You can't. You dilute it. Someone who is oblivious to their body being the temple is largely unaware of the activity of the Spirit. Thus it hinders what might otherwise be witnessed or experienced by them, for them and the benefit of others. The glory in that sense is hindered, veiled, so to speak. That's why an active revelation of your body being a temple is so important. You need to understand who lives in you. You cannot and will not walk in what you do not know to be true. It won't happen. It can't happen. Your need to walk in the revelation that your body matters to Jesus is a profound need in you. I have to walk in an awareness that this is his and it matters. I don't want to be sliding slowly into the slippery slope of Gnosticism. And I got to tell you something, Gnosticism is big time on the rise right now in the church. temple is clueless about it, how will that glory be real? How? <coughs> Are you convinced that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit who lives in you? I mean, really convinced? Are you misusing this temple? 
Or are you treating these people with the respect Jesus demonstrated they deserved? And see, this should even touch your thought life, saints. Because when those thoughts you know are distasteful to the Lord, displeasing to the Lord by the common means, you need to have the zeal of Jesus rise up on the inside and say, I will have none of that. And in your spirit, craft your own whip and drive it out. Drive it out. It's an illegal, unauthorized intruder in your life. It does not belong there. It has no right to be there. Now, if, if, if somebody showed up tonight in your home in a ski mask and black attire, wielding an a, a, a iron rod in one hand and a big knife in the other, breathing out, you know, what they're going to do to you, what would you do? Come on in. Come on in. Oh, glad you're here. You hungry? Let's have a meal together. Of course not. You're either going to run out of your house to get away, or you're going to do something to defend yourself and your family. I can tell you now, God help the person that comes in with any kind of threat toward my wife or I. My conscience will not prevent me from eliminating the threat. I'll end the threat. Because I should do that. And my, and my way of thinking. Now, I'll preach to them in the process of getting to the point where elimination is necessary. I'll be telling them, you don't want to do this, man. You need to know Jesus, because if you don't know Jesus, what's about to happen keeps going. He's going to put you in a good spot. And I don't want to have to be the one that sends you to your father, the devil. You need Jesus, man. Let's talk about this. Put down what's in your hand. Sit down on your rear end in the floor. Cross your legs. Put your knuckles together like this, and let's talk for a minute. If they do that, we'll talk. I won't, I won't eliminate. Why aren't we that adamant, determined, and deliberate about the things that we want to contend in war against our soul, in war against our bodies, in war? You know what I'm saying? We should be just as determined, saints. Just as vigilant. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ suffering today because they're not. And it's a needless suffering. Nobody has to do that. Nobody has to suffer like that. That's not the suffering Jesus wants you to fill up. The suffering he wants you to fill up is your resistance to those things. When everything in your flesh is saying, this would be great. Let's have at it. You have to say, oh no. Not today, not any day, not now. It's done, he'll get out. And flesh, you're wrecking dead anyway. What are you doing trying to speak from the grave? 
Saints, we need to be equipped. Because the Lord wants to fill the earth with his glory, and you are the temple where that glory is to be manifested. Are you misusing his temple? Are you treating his temple with the respect Jesus demonstrated it deserves? Because, saints, you are a temple for the living God. You are his temple. You are members of Christ, his body. Your body matters. My wife, her phrase for the start of the year is, it all counts. It all counts. So if I sit down and start smacking on something like here, she says, just remember, it all counts. <laughs> and I say, my word is surprise.
You're simply trying to wise up. So we ask your help, Holy Spirit. Father, you invited us to come before the throne of grace to get answers of help. So we're asking for the kind of mercy that will instruct us and bring revelation into our hearts about these kinds, these kinds of things and equip and empower us to rise above, to rise up. So we're asking for your help in us rising up, Lord, in wisdom, in understanding, and in determination. We're asking you help, Lord. Lord, if there's been anybody who's been snared by sexual immorality, we ask you to set them free. Set them free. We just prophetically break the power over them. The power of enchantment that goes with it. The, the, the power of demonic lies and shame. Just the thing that keeps it buried, hidden. Lord, let them, let them get into the light. Let them get free. And let them rise up. To be who you know they are. In Jesus' name. We don't want anybody held back. Nobody held back from being a manifestation of your presence as your temple. We want all to be able to freely manifest your glory in their lives. And we ask your help for that, Lord. We thank you for that help. And we give you the praise. In Jesus' name. Everyone. Amen. 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 Do you receive that? Give him praise.